Hello, I'm Lucy. And I'm Michelle. And welcome to the 27th episode of Tudoriferous, the biographical podcast that examines lives in the Tudor era. And today, Maximilian the Holy Roman Emperor, Part 2. Hmm. Yes, we get to find out a few more things about whether or not he was deluded. I'm still going with delusional. Yeah, I would go with that, frankly. (laughs) (laughs) I would definitely go with that. I found this episode harder to write than the first one since it's a matter of trying to work out where the money comes from. Oh. And where it goes. Right. There's so so many loans, so many battles. It's impossible to marry them all up. And so many schemes. Yeah, she think, but he just gave you that. Where's it gone? (laughs) And I'm going to carry on doing it year by year. Okay. So we are now in... 1495. Ooh. Well, this is the year of the Holy League and all the shenanigans that went with that. And syphilis. (laughs) We still need a squishy sound effect. (laughs) you got to put in that squishy sound effect. I was leaving syphilis to later, but... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. When you think about what the League was for, which was ostensibly to present a united front against the Turkish invasion... Yes. Although really, obviously, to oust the French from Italy... Yes. Surely, time is of the essence. They shouldn't (laughs) be faffing around, (laughs) trying to appease one man while Charles VIII rampages across Italy. You would think that... By this point, Maximilian would be eager to go after Charles because Charles stole his wife and kicked out his daughter. Mm. You would think under revenge. Certainly his personal stuff. Yeah. As well as political stuff. Well, Maximilian, (laughs) it's unfortunate for poor old Maximilian. Bless him. (laughs) (laughs) He was at the Diet of Worms while he was waiting, of Worms, while he was waiting to see how Perkins' invasion was going A diet is a congress of all the interested states within the Holy Roman Empire, and it was held in a different city each year. So this this time it's Worms' turn. And everyone remembers the Diet of Worms because it's Diet of Worms. I mean, you can't forget it, can you? But this one was particularly momentous. Maximilian had called the diet to discuss various problems of foreign policy, in that there were threats both from the Ottomans and Charles VIII. But it was not a quick meeting. Maximilian had expected to stay there for a fortnight. And in fact, it dragged on from March till September. Oh, my goodness. And one of the reasons for the length was that the other participants didn't really want to discuss all those foreign problems. Not least because it usually led to them forking out money for them. So why wouldn't they just stop it early and be done with it and get out of there before it could be brought up? Because they wanted to make reforms within the empire itself. Oh, gotcha. Maximilian felt he was being blackmailed, you know. Maybe we'll discuss the French and the Ottomans, but only if you give us an imperial court and an imperial government and something that they they called eternal peace, which was rather nice, which is a... a, (laughs) Lasts for five years. (laughs) (laughs) It was a ban on feuding. Okay. Well, all all the rest was acceptable to Maximilian, but not the government. I mean... He's government. It's me. I'm the one that gets to decide these things. At least he thinks he is. Me and the King of Denmark. (laughs) The problem for Maximilian was the vast space between how he imagined his role as emperor and the reality of the situation. Right. Because he he was at the mercy of the electors. 
And they could tie Even him up with impossible conditions, and they could only do they could only dole out, or they would only dole out money when they thought it was necessary. And their priorities were not always the same as Maximilian's. So the Holy Roman Emperor very rarely were. The Holy Roman Emperor didn't. It doesn't sound like he has any power at all. He seems to have very little. He complained that they were treating him like a small town mayor. <laughs> I, mean, I suppose there were a lot more of them than there are of him. Yes. I see that. And if they all ganged up on him, I suppose there's very little he could do. It sounds like he's not an emperor. It just sounds like he's the head of a state for democracy where he has to deal with a body that tells him, yes, you can do what you want to or no, you cannot. Hmm. Or he sounds like a small town mayor where it's all it's all just ceremonial. Ah, right. And nothing, they don't actually expect anything of you. Right. He also wanted them to give him money for the next 12 years so that he could form and train his Landsknechts, the fighting oh. force that Maximilian took from being an unruly rabble of mercenaries to a disciplined fighting force. And I did do a whole side, light, side thing on the Landsknecht because we were talking about why, have it, why does everybody have 2,000 German mercenaries? Yes. And these are them. So I thought I'd do a side thing on them, but it's going to be a long episode anyway. The Diet wasn't keen on the idea of um, funding this Landsknecht for the next 12 years. But they did agree to something called the Common Penny. And it was the first tax in Germany, because we talked last week about wouldn't Maximilian get taxes from yes. people. Well, this is this is the first time they've, t they've had any tax at all in Germany. Really? This late? Hmm. And it was good to be, to be levied on every man over the age of 15. And this would be used to, to fund the Landsknechts. So with his common penny money on its way, Maximilian felt financially invincible. Oh, no. <laughs> so he sacked Jakob Fuger. Of course he did. Oh, yes. my goodness. I mean, there must be quite a lot of resentment. Yes. When you're constantly borrowing from somebody, you must hate them, really, mustn't you? Yeah. I mean, you need them. But you don't want to need them. No. But honestly, I thought that the Diet would say no to the money because they'd be worried Maximilian would turn around and use the military force against them to get more out of them. I don't think that was ever an issue. He's got so much else to do. I mean, he's got Italy, True. he's got Hungary, he's got Bohemia, he's got France, he's got <laughs> Spain. He's got a lot, of, a lot else on his plate. Yes. By the time the Diet had completed its negotiations, Charles VIII had entered Italy done all the things we've already covered and gone home again. <laughs> oh, really? So Maximilian was stuck in worms all this time. <laughs> and even worse, Jakob Fuger knew something that Maximilian didn't know. People always know things that Maximilian yes. doesn't know. His spies told him that the electors weren't particularly interested in this common penny thing. Okay. They may have been if it had been going into their coffers, but... They didn't want to put much effort into raising taxes just for Maximilian. Ah, right, because they'd still have to pay the tax collector. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, why, why, would, why would they want to bother? Oh. As usual, Maximilian seems to be the last to grasp this, and when he did, he had no choice but to go back to Jakob Fuger. Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> and he pledged more of his silver mines in return for a loan. <sighs> and while Maximilian had been stuck at Worms... He'd been desperate to hear how his little adventure over the channel had been going. Well, not well, as we saw in Perkins' episode. <laughs> in fact, quite appallingly, as we know, Maximilian refused to countenance the failure 
rerunning it as he would have preferred it in his yes. head. Yes. Yeah. Until he had to face the fact his puppet was not going to be the King of England, and so should Perkin have met with a little accident before he had children. Neither was Maximilian. I'm going to get England. No. Mm. That little deal they had. Perkin had moored offshore at Deal and watched the massacre on the 3rd of July. And incidentally, many of the soldiers who crossed the channel with Perkin were troops who had been discharged from Maximilian's campaign against the Duke of Gelders. That wow. little incident. Yes. And they were still owed pay, so I suppose it's not, not surprising <laughs> that they were so desperate to get all that free beer. <laughs> But it took Maximilian until the 5th of September to come to terms with Perkins' failure. Ah. While he listened without making reply. Oh, that's mm. not a happy camper. No. <laughs> that he hadn't expected to be away for so long and that he'd hoped to squeeze money out of the diet is shown in a letter that he received from his councillors while he was still kicking his heels in the worms. It contained an urgent request for more money, as the maintenance of the courtiers had been stopped and the Queen and her ladies, quote, will be provided for only three or four days more. And if within that time no money comes, even their food supplies will come to an end, unquote. Wow. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? He is the Holy Roman Emperor and he can't afford to feed his wife and court. Wow. Yeah. However, the next month... Maximilian received a letter from Perkin telling him that everything was just peachy. What? He was in Scotland. He was now married. He was best buds with James IV. Ah. And together they were going to take England from the north. So how could Maximilian abandon him now just when everything was going so well? Yeah. It is hard to tell which of them is the more deluded, really, isn't it? It really is. But now wouldn't Maximilian be like, wait a second, he's married. If he has a child, I've lost England. He'd still have his puppet, I suppose. Possibly. Mm. And he's still furious with Henry. Yes. For dobbing him in it with the Treaty of a Tarp. Yes. When he signed it behind Maximilian's, Maximilian's back. back. Didn't even tell him. <laughs> That's all he had to do. Just send him a telegram for anything. <laughs> nope. I think I wonder if that smacks of Henry saying I don't want the trouble or that he doesn't feel Maximilian is important enough for him to even bother. Yeah, I mean, you would have thought the Holy Roman Emperor. I mean, that's, that's, that's a bit of kudos behind the name, at least, surely, isn't it? Yes, there? but so far it sounds like they're not actually worth anything. It's an empty, empty, empty title. Hmm. Well... Who knows what went on in Henry's mind? No one. Well, although Jakob Fuger had given him the loan, he had played card to get. Maximilian heard nothing from him for ten days, and when Fuger did answer, it was to say that he'd given up money lending since it, quote, achieved nothing but trouble, effort, and ingratitude, unquote. <laughs> Smack! <laughs> <laughs> he often did that. I've come across that a few times with Fuger. He says... No, I'm not doing it anymore. No, I'm tired. I'm ill. I can't be bothered. No. But what he's saying is, no, bump up the percentage yes. on, on the interest yeah. and then we can talk. And Maximilian didn't have anybody else he could turn to. There were other families, but the Fugas were way, well, Jakob Fuga was way, way above everybody else okay. in wealth. Okay. But... Fuga was right to be wary of Maximilian because he had brought down the other side of the Fuga family. 
Maximilian had borrowed from Lucas Fugger mm-hmm. and had pledged the tax revenue from the Flemish city Leuven as collateral. Okay. But the good folk of Leuven said, well, no. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't see why their taxes should go to pay off Maximilian's debts. Fair. And the debt was never paid and Lucas Fuga went under. Oh. And I think he's the one, if I got this right, he ended up living in a shed. Oh, my goodness. he really went under. I don't know why he couldn't. I mean, I'm sure Jacob would have had somewhere for him to live. However, Maximilian decided he would call Jacob Fuga's bluff. You know, if if you say you're giving up, that's fine. I'll just I'll I'll go to someone else. Yeah, yeah, doesn't bother me. As I say, no one could match the amounts that Fugger delivered. But you know, Maximilian could get loans from several different people. Well, well, yeah, it sounds like crowdfunding now. <laughs> yeah, and this is where Maximilian left Bianca as the pledge for oh, a loan. Oh no! <laughs> I cannot believe he left his wife as a hostage. Well, you'd be glad to know she was redeemed. <sighs> oh, she was? Yeah, with a loan from the treasurer. And then she was taken with great secrecy to Cologne. I don't know if that was because he was embarrassed. I don't know. But this was not the only time she was left as a pledge. He did it at other times, but usually did it for her debts. Oh. Because they were as bad as each other. It was almost as if he were making a point, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but I suppose all the times that he left her in hock, he didn't have to pay her food bill, did he? So. True, because the person who had them was required to keep them up for that time, mm. but still. And when Fuga heard what Maximilian had done, he retaliated by persuading another of Maximilian's creditors, Melchior von Meckau, who was the Bishop of Brixen, who did a bit of money lending on the side, to call in his loan, because he'd lent money to Maximilian. Okay, wait. As I understand it in the Catholic religion... Usury is not allowed, which is... Usury is not allowed to anybody, never mind a bishop. (laughs) Uh, Yes, and then there's a bishop doing it. Yeah, because the bishop had called in his loan, Maximilian was now (laughs) really sort of... Really screwed. Screwed, yeah. Screwed is the word, yes. He went running back to Fuga. Because Maximilian may not have realised this, but Jacob Fuga had made himself indispensable to him. Yes. Maximilian was in his clutches. Pretty much. If he's the only one who's willing to loan him money, Maximilian has no other choice. Mm. Wow. And Fuga takes a lot of risks to keep Maximilian as his client. But oh. it's, wor- it's worth it Okay, for him. He takes some ridiculous risks. Okay. But that's why he's so rich is because he takes... He's willing to gamble. He's described as he was the richest person in ever. Because really? When he died, he actually owned, what was it, 2% of Europe's money. (laughs) 2%? A single person owned 2% of Europe's money? Yes. And I don't think Musk or Bill Gates or anyone actually has 2% of Europe's money, do they? I don't think so. (laughs) Wow. Wow. That would be equal to a trillionaire, wouldn't it? I think so. I would have thought so. Wow. He He was phenomenally wealthy. And we might do an episode on him when we, because we've got a whole series of episodes about money, which I thought was going to be one episode, but no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I had to look into just the ducats and find out just how many versions they were and yeah. how everybody argued about what they were willing to accept and what they weren't, it got really mm. confusing. And the mm. fact that money could change at the whim of the monarch. If the monarch decided yes. to add a different type of currency, it just appeared for a while. And if they wanted to get rid of it, it disappeared. 
and the amount of precious metal in it. Yes. Anyway, a bit sidetracked. You've already <laughs> mentioned this, but <laughs> but in this year, Maximilian published an edict confirming that a new disease had entered his realm. <laughs> and his interest in the disease led him to establish eight hospitals, which is just as well, since in his late 30s, it's thought that he himself contracted the disease. Oh, so yeah. now he's squishy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was bad taste. <laughs> Is that just going to be the short shorthand for it now? Yep. Fourteen ninety-five. Maximilian is squishy. Fourteen ninety-six. In this year, Maximilian expelled all the Jews from Styria and Wiener Neustadt in Austria. Did he do it because he was trying to claim their goods for the money, or was this... I'm coming to that. Okay. <laughs> Between 1494 and 1510, he authorised 13 more expulsions. And he didn't necessarily have strong feelings about the need to expel Jews. He doesn't seem to have, been, have seen it as a Christian crusade like Ferdinand and Isabella. Right. In fact, he resettled them in Lower Austria. Oh. But, <laughs> and is this a better reason or a worse... He received fairly hefty financial compensations from local government for each expulsion. It was for the money. It's for the money. Mm, I'm not sure if that's worse or better. Yeah, I couldn't work it out. I think... No, I don't know. I can, I can argue on both sides, I yeah. think, with that one. But after 1510, he realised that actually he could get more by taxing the Jewish population than, than, rather than expelling them. Why not? Spain is making money off the conversos. Hmm. But not his finest hour, really. But on the other hand, I searched for links between Maximilian and witch trials. Okay. Any particular reason why you decided to do that? Because the Holy Roman Empire was the main place for witch trials. They had a massive really? amount. I did not know that. Not now. Later. Okay. okay. But I thought I'd look and find out if Maximilian had any links. I couldn't find any. Okay. They're still being sensible. So, it'd be nice to think he didn't. It'd be nice to think that. I mean, somebody <laughs> may get in touch and say, what about such and such? In fact, do get in touch and tell me, because I couldn't see any. It was rather a last last minute sort of, oh, I wonder if he's got roach trials. I'll quickly type it up. Yes. But I didn't I didn't spot any from the obvious sort of Google, <laughs> Google aspect. <laughs> so, fingers crossed that he's all right on that score. 1497. Maximilian's daughter, Margaret of Austria, married Juan, yes. which was a love match. Yes. And Philip the Fair married Juana. Which was not. Which really wasn't. No. <laughs> well, we've come across several reasons why these marriages were arranged. Ferdinand and Isabella were afraid for the safety of Catherine in England mm -hmm. with a wob wobbly throne. Isabella wanted to neutralise the influence of Auntie Margaret. Yes. Since if Juana became Archduchess of Burgundy, there'd be no room for Margaret. Yes. Maximilian arranged the marriages so that he was linked to Spain, which seemed to be an up-and-coming up and coming country. Yes. Well, here's another one. Oh. Ferdinand was now fighting the French, and he wanted Maximilian's support. And so it was ah. as a sweetener to Maximilian that Ferdinand suggested the marriages. Okay. Not that Maximilian needed any encouragement to fight the French, 
But it's curious that every book which mentions these betrothals gives a different reason for them taking place. Yes, well, it could be all of those reasons. I would have thought so. But sometimes it comes from Maximilian, sometimes it comes from Isabella. And Ferdinand. Yeah. This is the first time I've heard of Ferdinand suggesting... Anything. Anything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know. We're well, not done him yet. <laughs> and over the water in this year, Perkin was apprehended in Taunton. Right. I mean, he gets there. I don't get to Taunton. <laughs> I still haven't gone. Only 10 miles down the road. <laughs> Maximilian immediately sent a representative to London to negotiate Perkin's handover. Why should should Maximilian ever have thought that Henry would hand Perkin over to the very man who's been responsible for much of the turmoil of the previous years? And who rejected handing Perkin over to him for years. No, but he's asking Henry to hand him back to him. Yeah, I know, but why would Mm. Henry give it back to him? Henry's been asking Maximilian to hand him over for years. Hmm. Well, it's back up. Maximilian thought that someone in the king's household might be persuaded in return for 10,000 gold florins to let Perkin escape. <laughs> and I don't know where he'd get these 10,000 gold florins for. He could hardly go to Henry for them now, no. could he? But is it interesting? Because Perkin did escape. Yes, he did. But I, I'm we... not sure. not sure we'll ever know whether Maximilian was behind that or whether it was Perkin saw an open window and thought, oh, great, and <laughs> jumped out and ran away. Yeah. 1498. The Spanish ambassador wrote to Ferdinand and Isabella saying, quote, I also see the King of the Romans inclined to do everything contrary to the King of England, and as far as I can find out, I believe he will do what he can to set Perkin free and throw the realm into confusion, unquote. So it was, it was commonly known that this was what, what, what Maximilian was up to. Yes. And Maximilian confirmed that that had been his plan in his Weisskönig, that very fanciful autobiography of his, (laughs) which is written in a style that makes Maximilian sound as if he's completely barking mad. Oh, really? (laughs) Oh, I'm going to have to find that then. Quote, he seriously, this is he is Maximilian. Okay. He seriously considered avenging these people, Perkin and Edward Owen of Warwick, that is, and he plans an assault in great secrecy. He wants to go over there personally, across the sea... With a great force, yes. And ventures to make himself king of that same kingdom. (laughs) As he also has a right to this crown. Because as we saw, it's all from John of Gaunt, as it always is. Yes. And he comes to some kind of agreement with the Blue King, France, that he doesn't obstruct or interfere with his plans. But when the new red and white king, Henry, came to know this, he sent a messenger to the white king, Maximilian, and said he wanted to be his good friend. Whereupon the White King, Maximilian, reconsidered the whole situation, unquote. Oh, my goodness. And Henry sent him a note saying, should we be friends? And Maximilian said, oh, yeah, we're all right. <laughs> or now I have a special friend. <laughs> <laughs> Whether this actually happened, it's, I think very little in his autobiography. The colours make no sense. I get blue for France, but the Tudor colours are green and white. Well, red and white roses, I suppose. Oh, yeah. But from some of the stuff that we read, the red and white roses for them didn't really take hold until decades later. Mm. Maybe Mm. they took hold because that's what Maximilian called them. I don't know. Possibly. Who knows? 
I don't know, but he's the white king, so... Oh, of course, the yeah. pure king. It's generally assumed that Perkin would have known nothing about this, <laughs> if indeed there was anything to know. No. Which I doubt. Anyway, in this year, Maximilian set up the first imperial supreme court, which is an important, it's quite dull, but it's an important tick in the achievements column and shouldn't be underestimated because with all this blustering and his overreaching himself and things, it's easy to forget he actually passed quite a lot of quite far-sighted reforms. Did he? Hmm. Well, a Supreme Court makes sense. I mean, it's a court of appeal. Yeah, I haven't gone into to m m many of them, but um, he's renowned for having, I mean, his dad didn't. <laughs> but, <laughs> but he really, I think possibly he was forced to. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because it's do this or you don't get any money. The way you said that makes me think, yes, he was forced to. So do we <laughs> give him credit for it? Ooh, that's going to be iffy. I don't know. The, one, the book I read that mentioned most most of these reforms was such a sycophantic book. You know, he thought Maximilian could do no wrong at all. Oh, really? So I don't, he didn't mention the idea that he was forced to, but it does seem that... Probable. He's, he's going to the diets each, each year saying... Give some money, give some money, give some and money. And they say, no, no, no. <laughs> or they say, well, let's talk. Yes, do this for us. What we want. Anyway, Charles VIII died, so that's one less thing to worry about. <laughs> that was abrupt. <laughs> 1499. However, Charles was succeeded by Louis XII, who had a dynastic interest in Milan, Yes. Which he took in this year, driving Ludovico Sforza out. And Maximilian, despite being Ludovico's nephew-in-law and sort of chief henchman, really, wasn't he? <laughs> he wasn't able to stop the French invasion of Milan since he was fighting the Swiss. Uh, did he even attempt it? Or it was just, I have no money and I'm fully focused? I'm not sure on this occasion. It's okay. constant. As I said, he does 27 wars. Wow. In his life. So it's so hard to work out when one stops and one starts or whether some are running concurrently or, or what's wow. going on. That's ridiculous. Anyway, he lost the war against the Swiss. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Here, quick question. Does he win any of them? The and I mean one. win, not come to an agreement, but win. Not many. Okay. Not many. He had to sign a treaty with the Swiss, giving them independence from the Holy Roman Empire. Ooh, so that's a loss. That's a loss. Yeah. And his campaigns in Italy weren't going great either. He's often criticised for being wasteful and gaining little. He had put a lot of work into making his land connects into a supreme fighting force, but it's the old, old story. Either he couldn't muster a large enough force or he couldn't pay the troops he had to keep fighting until the battle was won. It's money. It's all the time. Oh, and it's money. He, was, he gained the nickname Massimiliano di Pochi Denari. Maximilian of little money. <laughs> <laughs> he must have been so frustrated because he had such big ideas. And if he could have afforded to carry them out, as they were in his imagination... He'd have been called Maximilian the Great, not Maximilian. Yes. Maximilian the money. Skint. Yeah. <laughs> I like Maximilian of Skint. <laughs> but he'd be lauded to this day. Instead, he's just made to look a fool for having such lofty aims, yet having to abandon pretty much all of them. 
Right. If he'd toned down his aims, maybe he could have afforded to do less but finish them. But then he wouldn't have been Maximilian. <laughs> no. So... 1500. The imperial princes in Augsburg, I think this is the Diets of Augsburg, somehow withdrew considerable power from Maximilian and invested it in the Supreme Council. Wow! They even considered deposing him, but failed, apparently because of apathy. They couldn't care less. They, uh, Let's get rid of them. Let's get rid of them. Oh, what's <sighs> the point? <laughs> it's so much work. And really, he's not doing that much damage. Yes. We just, just give, give him a bit of money and tell him to run along. Oh, yes. give him a cookie. <laughs> <laughs> but Maximilian fought back. He got yet another loan from Jakob Fruger, which meant that he wouldn't be dependent. I thought you were going to say, I don't just want a cookie. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he does want a cookie, but he wants it from Jakob Fuger, so he's not dependent on the council. Yeah. He's just dependent on Fuger. But if you're thinking, but Maximilian, how are you going to pay it all back? Is he going to? Did he give up his wife again? <laughs> no, he mortgaged the country's mines and salt works to the Fugers. <gasps> That's why Fuger is so rich. He's got silver mines, copper mines... And all from Maximilian. Like, couldn't Maximilian... Uh, well, I guess he needs the money now, not when it's yeah. productive. Yes. Ugh. And as we'll see, he's not good with money. No. And anyway, there's something else to think about, as Edmund and Richard de la Pole have just turned up in his court. <laughs> <laughs> 1500 and one. In fact, they hadn't just turned up. Maximilian had invited them. Yes, he had. Another example of him taking the offensive stance. Because as Maximilian had lost interest in Perkin, Henry was beginning to feel that he'd finally got to grips with what made Maximilian tick. Economic sanctions didn't seem to have any effect. But what did was Hilfsgelder, financial mm. aid going straight into Maximilian's hot, sticky little hands. Oh, so carrot instead of stick. Well, yes, but it also does imply that Maximilian didn't really care what happened to his country as long as he got the money to wage his wars. Right. Right. That's how Which I read it. is not good. No. Ugh. Hmm. Henry dispatched William Warham and Sir Charles Somerset to Maximilian's court with a promise of £10,000 if Maximilian cooperated in this Edmund affair. Wow. Both men had done all this before during Perkins' time. They're old hands at this. They must be thinking, <laughs> here we go again. Again. At first, the negotiations seemed to be going well. But the ambassadors were soon writing home to complain to Henry that they, quote, marvelled at his inconstancy, unquote. Whatever Maximilian wanted one day, it was something else the next. I am not surprised. Mm. And he also had the habit of muttering asides to his counsellors around him, which then led to gales of sycophantic laughter. Uh-oh. And the English diplomats were there sort of stony-faced, <laughs> getting more and more infuriated. Ugh. And Warham and Somerset told Henry that in private, Maximilian's courtiers pretty much told them, you know, welcome to our world. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you've, no! <laughs> you've just got this for a few weeks. We get this all the bloody time. <laughs> yes. So... That's what he's like. And we heard in Edmund de la Pole's episode, Maximilian agreed in theory to Edward's banishment. 
but said that this extradition treaty should only apply to hereditary Habsburg lands. Right. But since power had been removed from Maximilian by these apathetic princes at the Diet, it may be the case that he wasn't allowed to include autonomous cities. Right. So it Mm. wasn't him being clever. It was him saying, I actually really don't have any power. Possibly, but it was almost as if he might have foreseen this state of affairs because he had already sent Edmund to Aachen, an autonomous city. Okay. But he still took Henry's 10,000 quid, so... (laughs) Of course he did. Thanks, Henry. (laughs) Thank you. Now I can buy food. (laughs) (laughs) I know, he's got plans. He's got plans for that 10,000 quid. Henry once said, quote, How I wish that the emperor would not undertake any enterprises except through mature consideration, unquote. (laughs) But Maximilian had just got 10,000 quid out of Henry for doing precisely nothing. Yes. So I think people underestimate Maximilian. Yeah. Kicking his heels in Aachen, Edmund de la Pole sent an urgent message to Maximilian, quote, I've been warned in no uncertain terms that King Henry is seeking it in all places and through all kinds of people that he can buy off with gold and silver to destroy me. And moreover, the longer I stay out of England, the stronger King Henry will become and the worse it will be for me, unquote. Hello? Hello? Maximilian? (laughs) Is anybody there? (laughs) La, la, la. Oh, a unicorn. (laughs) (laughs) No, Maximilian had lost interest. (laughs) Oh, no. Ooh, shiny. (laughs) What's that? (laughs) But sometime during this year, Maximilian fell off his horse and injured himself quite badly. So it might be. He might have a very good reason for thinking, yeah, just leave me alone, Edmund. I've got other things. And after this, he started suffering from depression. Okay. And I don't know whether it was because he was less mobile. He was 44 now, so maybe he was looking back on a life that just saw a series of disasters and campaigns. Yeah, disasters. Not just a failure, but (laughs) catastrophic failures. 1500. Maximilian called an imperial diet, which met in Augsburg. The invasion of Milan by Louis XII was a pretext the emperor needed to convince the princes of the French threat. Yet he couldn't get them to hand over any cash for it. He must be getting deja vu every time time he goes (laughs) to these things exactly the same. Well, and how does he equate it to a direct threat, though? Um, He's thinking of Milan. Yes. He's not really... I mean, that's probably why... The princes at the Diet don't see the threat because the threat is to Maximilian's uncle-in-law. It's not to them, really, is it? Yes, the uncle-in-law who didn't legitimately have any claim to Milan in the first place. No, Ludovico Sforza. 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 (laughs) It's just a fun Uh, word. (laughs) It is. (laughs) He became so desperate that he allowed for the formation of a Reichsregiment, and I've got in here brackets hard G, (laughs) a council of leading princes, but on condition that they bought their position on the council from Maximilian. Oh, really? Yes. It's just money, 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 money. Yeah. Maximilian had other plans for Henry's money. So he's sort of trying to ring fence money out of the look of it. Although he'd been Holy Roman Emperor for eight years, he still hadn't got to Rome to be crowned by the Pope. Right. He had not. No, he felt he needed that extra strength that the magic crown of Rome would give him. (laughs) 
Many sources said that he just hadn't been able to afford to go, but some said it was too dangerous for him to get there. But as we'll see, it was a mixture of both. Okay. To get to Rome, he'd have to go through French-occupied Milan and then on to hostile Venice. Oh. Hmm. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a good idea. His advisers reckoned he'd need 30,000 soldiers, so he was advised to forget it. It was going to cost 120,000 florins. For you to get a fancy magic crown. Yes, which was more than Henry had provided. He couldn't afford it, they said. He shouldn't bother. Maximilian's response? Quote, work it out with Fuga, unquote. Oh, no! <laughs> yeah. Really? He just turns around and says, I'm getting it any... Mm. Part of me is actually admiring his determination. Like, no, I'm doing it anyway. That's typical of what you want in a leader, but it's not... It's not moderated by common sense. No. No, I think common sense is something that he is seriously lacking. Yes. It's almost like Ambition. he actually is deluding himself. Like he has this fantasy world that he is convinced is real, and he can do it anyway, that there is no consequence. Yeah, he is the vice Koenig. He's the one in the book, as far yeah. as he's concerned. But wow. I, I presume, I haven't read the whole book, but I presume, in fact, I don't think the existing, well, I think it only exists in fragments, but I presume that the vice Koenig doesn't have any money problems. Probably not. Mm. It's what he'd like life to be if there was an infinite amount of money. I'd have a petting zoo. <laughs> <laughs> He's not mentioned a petting zoo. <laughs> he just wants lots and lots of battles that he wins because he's got lots of money and his land connects. Wow. Mm. So these yeah, he went there saying to the Diet of Constance and said, can I have some money and some soldiers to get my crown? And they said, well, not really. <laughs> no. In fact, the Venetian ambassador wrote home to tell the Doge not to worry because Maximilian wasn't going anywhere. No one would give him any money. But then there was a knock at the door and they peered out and there in the town square was cart after cart loaded with gold coins, all glinting in the sunshine. This sounds like a dream. <laughs> it does sound like it's actually come out of the vice Koenig, but yes. it's there. It is really? there. Really? This is a little party trick on Fuga's part. Because instead of sending the money straight to the battlefield to pay the troops, Fuga's plan was that the Venetian ambassador would see all the money, and then Venice would assume that Maximilian had unlimited treasures... Ah. And maybe they'd panic and just let Maximilian go through. Oh. And this would be to Fuga's advantage, since Venice and the papacy were also his customers. He, does, he's, he doesn't want to upset anybody. Right. Whereas if he actually does bankroll an invasion, he's... Mm. He's yeah. lost a customer. Seriously yeah. lost a customer. Yeah, more than one. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's clever. That's quite clever. Yeah, it takes it takes a lot of lateral thinking to think, well, I'll just take... I'll just take a load of carts down, I'll fill them with gold and just drive them outside the place where the diet's going on and just park them up, knock at the door and say, here's your money, Maximilian. Wow. That's why Fuga is so rich. He doesn't, he thinks outside the box. <laughs> Very much so. This, it's interesting that he used money. In my head, this is equating to, I believe it, yeah, it was World War II, the United States did not have enough tanks, so they hired 
a ton of artists secretly and they painted fake tanks and just started setting them up in France so that the Germans would think that they had this gigantic, I don't know, that's not an armada of tanks. What, what's a group, large group of I tanks? I don't know. Flit, not flotilla. Fleet? <laughs> Is it still a fleet? I don't know, but it, it's it's totally outside of the box. You would never assume that they are balloons and plywood mm. and stuff. So this is just the opposite end of this. This is the financial end showing that, well, I can buy whatever I want. That's yeah. really clever. Mm. <laughs> yeah. In this year, Julius II became Pope, bankrolled by Jakob Fuga. <laughs> He's everywhere. Absolutely. He's everywhere. One of the first things he did as the Pope was to send a cardinal to Augsburg to tell Fuga that Maximilian wasn't welcome in Rome Ooh. and that he should stay home. So much for the Holy Roman Empire getting the magic crown. Mm. Fuga was also warned not to lend him any more money. How do you warn somebody who bankrolled you not to give money to somebody else? I, well, all these people who borrow money from... I mean, Fuga doesn't do it for charity, does he? He gets money out of every deal. Is Fuga Catholic? Oh, yeah. He is. Okay. So he could be threatened with excommunication. I was thinking could if he be. was Jewish, then that would yeah. have absolutely no effect on him. But if he's Catholic and he could be excommunicated, that would be a problem. So I can see there's some be. authority there. But that's like giving money to your boss and having your boss turn around and telling you what you can do with your own money after you've given it to them. Like, I'm bailing you out. Okay. Thank you. Now don't bail out anybody else. Mm. Mm. Where's the power there? Fuga's clients are all incredibly wealthy people. Yes. And they can pay him, like Maximilian does, in mines and um, all, sort, well, all sorts of incredibly yeah. money-making schemes. Yeah. income. And yes. the reason that Fuga's rich is because so he's been given so much stuff that makes money. Yes. So... So then again, where is the... Power, he wants though. to hold on to all of the his clients. Oh, clients. Yeah. It's hard to see who has mm. more power in these relationships. The people yes. loaning the money or the people getting the money? Borrowing. I think the people getting the money think they have the power. The person loaning the money has Actually, the power. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Anyway, he doesn't want Maximilian. We're going to end up having to do an episode on him, even if it's just to show just how complicated the web is that he's been weaving he's a fascinating man absolutely fascinating um not particularly pleasant i wouldn't think but we haven't come across very many pleasant <laughs> people <laughs> yeah well fuga was in a difficult position i mean as we've said he's got to sort of pussyfoot around his clients mm -hmm. and the diet has just refused to fund maximilian so fuga had to give him some money because he didn't want to lose maximilian as a client and he didn't want him to start borrowing from the Welses and the other wealthy right. families. But he only gave him enough to get him started on this crown collecting campaign. He didn't fully bankrupt. Give him the it. full amount, yeah. I don't know whether he took most of those carts back to Augsburg and <laughs> emptied them back into his own coffers. <laughs> but why wouldn't he just say to Maximilian, the Pope doesn't like you. He's not going to give you the crown even if you do show up. I can't imagine Maximilian hearing that. No, probably not. Hmm. It would just come out as a sort 
All of our younger listeners may not know that that's a Charlie Brown reference. <laughs> oh, yes, of course it is. Yes. Maximilian crossed the Alps. He's going anyway. He's going anyway. He's got 10,000. That's only a third of what he'd been told he'd need. And he got to Trent, which doesn't sound very, very Italian. Very he got to Trent no. near Verona when he ran out of money. But Maximilian was the man who climbed peaks where no man had been before and dodged bullets by <laughs> leaning back a little bit. <laughs> which actually is a possibility at this point. <laughs> Guns were not very accurate. Yes. <laughs> He wasn't going to give up just because he couldn't pay his troops. He was going to carry on with a smaller group of men. Okay. His advisors were just driven mad by him. Um, not on just on this occasion, as we've seen. I think yes. that was the general state of affairs. One councillor said, quote, The wall of difficulty which opposes us is as hard as the head of the emperor, unquote. They were convinced he'd be killed before he reached Rome. <laughs> And that's why they came up with the idea that the papal crowning ceremony didn't really need the Pope. The idea didn't come from the Pope, as I'd assumed, but from Maximilian's exasperated advisers. Okay, explain how the Holy Roman Emperor does not need the Pope to crown him as the Holy Roman Emperor. Just because they always have been doesn't mean they have to carry on like that. Really? Well, they decide they're going to do it. You know, we're going to put on a show. We're going to put it on right now and right here. So they I'm, do it in Trent. I'm sorry. Where's the holy part in there? Because they get the Bishop of Salzburg to do it. Really? Just a bishop? He performs the ceremony. And they scrounge a sort of proxy crown from somewhere. You know, it's, it's all good. Fireworks fill the sky. There's a procession. A oh, coin my. stamp with Maximilian's image and the words Caesar. This is uh, like Barnum and Bailey. We'll put on the greatest show on earth and nobody will realize that the Pope wasn't here. Well, Maximilian went along with it and his advisors obviously breathed a sigh of relief. He wasn't going on to Rome to be almost certainly killed. And as far as they're concerned, yeah, they just saved Maximilian's life. But almost immediately after the ceremony, Maximilian was regretting it. He should have gone to Rome. Yes. Instead of being crowned in some two-bit town like Trent. Yes. He should have paraded down the streets of the Holy City. You're as much the Holy Roman Emperor as Perkin Warbeck is the King <laughs> of England. Well, so that's what he seemed to think. So he set off again. He was going to do it properly. <laughs> so you spent all that money on that ceremony <laughs> in the procession. And now you're going to spend more. <laughs> yeah. Ah, his advisors must be bald by now for tearing out their hair. <laughs> well, he reached the Venetian border where he was met by Venetian troops. But to everyone's amazement, he won that battle. Really? And I'm not sure who was, whether he managed to con all his landsnecks to come with him. But obviously he immediately got in touch with Fuga to say, more money, more money, please, quick. And again, Fuga was in a difficult position because... Venice was his client, as was the Pope. Yes. The Pope had expressly said he didn't want Maximilian in his city. Fuga compromised again by sending Maximilian a bit of money, but not enough. And this first battle proved to be a flash in the pan because the next battle had Maximilian in retreat. And the Venetians chased him all the way back to Austria. <laughs> <laughs> so yet again, Maximilian was on the phone to Fuga. And this time, Fuga gave him enough money to get out of trouble. Well, that makes sense, because I can give you money to get away from Venice and yes, the Pope without getting into trouble. 
Yeah. Okay. But as repayment, because Maximilian's a desperate man now, Maximilian gave him two textile cities with the <gasps> castles thrown in. Wow. Yeah. Does Maximilian have anything when he's when he passes away? He has nothing to give to his heir. Wait, does he have an heir? Yeah, Philip. Yeah. Charles. Oh, Charles. Philip's yeah, dead by then, yeah. Philip's dead. Yeah. Well, the trouble was with giving Fuga these cities is that a commoner can't own cities and Fuga's a commoner. Why can't a commoner own cities? You've got to be noble to own a city. Well, that's easy enough. Just the rules. Just it is. Make it is. Maximilian turn him into a duke. Count. A count? <laughs> <laughs> he actually the does count that. of Schmieken. <laughs> that's if I'm pronouncing it properly. Schmieken, Schmieken. Yeah, 1508. Fuga's a count. Wow. Well, that's pretty good for him. He only lent Maximilian the money on condition that he made peace with Venice. Okay. Yeah, and stopped all this ridiculous crown business. And Maximilian agreed. He must have been heartbroken. Poor, poor Maximilian. And this was going to give him the power of Charlemagne. Yeah. He had to make do with that sham ceremony in a town that no one had heard of. <laughs> with some knockoff crown. And, but the whole escapade just seemed to typify Maximilian's life. You know, the gap between his expectations and the reality. Was the crown made of tin? <laughs> tin foil, I should <laughs> tin think. Tin foil. <laughs> it fully covers like a helmet. <laughs> but by Fuga insisting that Maximilian made peace with Venice, he was now dictating political policy to an elected, albeit oh. by a few people, elected heads of state in return yes. for money. And technically, even though he's now a count, he was born a commoner. Mm. And he's now dictating... Well, he's not a count at this point. He doesn't get his countdom till 1508. Oh, wow. Wow. So he's, he's dictating terms, political terms, which is quite a big thing. Yes, that's huge. At some point before this year, Maximilian had offered his daughter, Margaret, as a wife for Henry VII. We're getting back to England now, but I felt the crown thing was such a palaver that I had to put it in. Yes. In March, Henry sent an envoy over to talk to de Ayala, who'd been the Spanish ambassador to England and was now in Flanders. Yes. To look at the viability of this and also to try and suss out Margaret's worth. And that's her financial worth, not her personal worth. 
Oh, really? Mm. Also, while you're there, Henry said, try and find out what Maximilian intends to do with Edmund de la Pole. And this is the year that Henry had his portrait painted with those little fingers to send to Margaret. Yeah. But a lot of good it did him. Nope. 1506. This must have been the happiest year of Henry's life, as a certain Philip the Fair was washed up on his shore, and somehow all his problems with Edmund de la Pole just disappeared. Disappear. And if you don't know about that, I'd direct you to Philip's second episode. Yes. Maximilian has started backpedalling about Henry's marriage to Margaret of Austria. Yeah, quite fast now, suggesting that instead there should be a marriage between his grandson Charles and Henry's daughter Mary. Yes. He admitted that he had been having a bit of trouble persuading Margaret to marry Henry, although he said he'd keep trying. <laughs> and I looked at the correspondence between Maximilian and Margaret, because it's available online, but the first volume doesn't start till 1507. So oh, no. Yeah, we won't know how hard he tried to persuade her and with what arguments, so... Hmm. That, and like we've said earlier, really, she was more of the power play in that relationship. And she was useful both to Charles and to Maximilian. Yes, where she was. Yeah, she was doing the, she was ruling the Low Countries. And quite well. Maybe Maximilian was not particularly keen to lose her. Mm-hmm. On the 25th of September, Philip died. But this opened up the possibility that his widow might marry again and that Henry VII might become her second husband. We're talking about Juana here, obviously. Yes. So it was all the more likely that his thoughts would turn to her after Maximilian informed him that Margaret had definitely decided she was going to remain a widow. So all Henry could do by May 1507 was to write a friendly letter to Margaret, just checking that they were still OK for those treaties that Philip had made. I wonder, I wonder if he felt rejected, like, badly. Don't know. It'd be hard not to when someone just said categorically, "I don't want to marry you. I don't want to yes. marry you. I don't want to. I still don't want to marry you." Yes, but at the same time, she's saying, "I don't want to marry anybody." True. That's a little easier to take for people. Mm. Well, just a brief sideline. We've seen some young betrothals. Margaret herself being shipped over to France when she was only two. Two. Yes. In this year, Maximilian's granddaughter, the Archduchess Mary, was promised to the son of Ladislaus of Hungary who at that point had not even been born yet. Oh, I've read about this kind of thing. They just make the treaty, the marriage treaty, regardless and hope for the right sex of the baby. Yes, it reminded me of the um, right-wing politician in this country, the, the 60s, Enoch Powell. Oh, you told us he put him in, put the baby in a specific school, but then it was yeah. born without a winkle. It was born without ankle, yes. He signed signed the child up for Eton, yes. Yeah. I mean, you do have to sign up for Eton quite early, I should imagine, but... Before they're born? Yes, that was pushing it a bit. With the death of Philip, Ferdinand moved in on the Spanish throne. Maximilian was afraid that his grandchildren, you know, his dynasty, were going to miss out on all that land. And I wondered if the fact that his title, Holy Roman Emperor, came without land. He got his Austrian land, but that was just a traditional Habsburg land. It hadn't come with a job. Okay. So I wonder if that's what made him so keen that his descendants should grab as much land as possible. Right, so they don't to constantly yeah. have to go to somebody else for money, whereas if you have your own land, you can do your own taxes, you can... Yes. Yeah, that, okay, that makes sense. Hmm. I didn't come across that anywhere, but it just seemed to make sense to me. Yeah. You know what I have not heard you mention? 
The King what? of Denmark? Anywhere? With Edmund? Just Nothing? wait. Just wait. Okay. <laughs> no, I didn't come across the King of Denmark. And I've done some reading about the King of Denmark because <laughs> we're thinking about doing a, for a cameo episode and I haven't come across anything to do with... <laughs> Maximilian or Edmund or Perkin or So anybody. he really did make it up in his head that it, the King of Denmark was going to supply the ships for I've Edmund. Only, I've only done some sort of cursory research on, on the king. It might turn out that maybe I just Well, I didn't find yet. it either when I did my episode on Edmund. I found mm. nothing, nothing I whatsoever. I if he was ever told that his name was being bandied about so freely. I don't know. Oh. 1507. Henry VII was getting tired of waiting for the Habsburg embassy that was due to perform his daughter's proxy marriage to Macmillan again. Maximilian, I haven't, I haven't done it for a while. Maximilian's grandson, Charles. Maximilian seemed to be dragging his feet and Henry was already withholding further loans he had promised. And the ambassador warned, unless Margaret sent the embassy quickly, Henry would call the whole thing off and do a deal with the King of France instead. I was wondering whether this prevarication on uh, Maximilian's part was revenge for Henry making peace with Charles VIII all those <laughs> many, many years ago. Because <laughs> he hasn't got a Perkin, he hasn't got an Edmund, so he's just using whatever comes to hand. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I'm finding this such a, um, I don't know, a fantasy episode <laughs> on is. one part. It's certainly, he's a one-trick pony, isn't he, Maximilian? It's just money. I just want yeah. money. 1508. More money for Maximilian. In mid-January, Henry transferred to him another huge sum of money, £38,000. Wow. Why? Well, upon a loan, it was called, which, as both kings knew from long experience, Henry it's would never see again. <laughs> no. So you can see why Henry needed Dudley and Empson, because his whole foreign policy is based on being the one with the money, isn't he? Yes. Uh, I'm not even sure why he sent him that money. I was going to ask, what is he getting for it? What? I'm not. I'm, I'm, as I say, it's been so difficult to match the money with the the plans uh, yeah. and what what it got spent on. And well, if half the plans are fantasy, then yes. how can you put it together with something specific? And if the other plans. Maximilian's got money set up and then thinks, oh, I'll just pop over to Switzerland and do some fighting. Oh, I spent all my money. Right, give us some money. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, years before, Henry had chastised Maximilian for his unreliability, but now it seems they're back being best of friends. So I assume the wedding's back on target now anyway. Okay. So perhaps that's what the loan's for because we're all one big happy family. Huh. Well, Henry seemed to think so because he had bonfires lit all over the country and boasted that with this new alliance between Mary and Charles, Henry had built, quote, a wall of brass, unquote, around his kingdom. Why brass? I don't know, really. I thought, well, I suppose it might have the money concept, but I think it's just something sturdy that's protecting the kingdom. Okay. And a little before midday on Sunday the 17th of December, Princess Mary was betrothed to Charles through his proxy, the Lord of Bergen. And she was only 14, but she clasped Bergen's hand and recited a long speech, quote, perfectly and distinctly in the French tongue, unquote. Then after the marriage contracts were signed in exchange, there was feasting, dancing and jousting. Right. So there we are, that's that all sorted. But 
(laughs) (laughs) Even after the humiliation of the war with Venice following the Trent coronation, you can call it a coronation, Maximilian was still obsessed with getting his crown done properly. Oh, goodness. He even swallowed his pride and entered into negotiations with the French. His thinking was that if he could use their army alongside his Landsknechts, he could get his revenge on the Venetians and create a safe passage for him to get to Rome. To a pope that is refusing to give you the crown anyway. I don't think he believes that. I mean, he's Maximilian. Of course the pope <laughs> wants to see so him. <laughs> well, Maximilian and the French could carve up Venice between them. Because mm-hmm. then, I mean, like Naples and Milan, it's not just the city of Venice as we know it today. It's, it's a big area. Yes. Uh, includes cities like Cremona and Padua and places. Yes, it's a city-state. Yes. So that he could walk unhindered into Rome and pick up his crown. Do you think anyone's actually told him that the Pope doesn't want to see him? <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't know either. And also, the Pope might have changed his mind by now, but since he too wants, wanted to have a go at the Venetians. Oh. And then Ferdinand of Aragon piled in too. So Venice is now going to be split four ways. Margaret of Austria didn't like the plan. She said she didn't trust the French to keep up their side of the bargain. But Fuga was up for it, though, because he thought, I mean, how could Maximilian lose with all those people behind him? Even though Venice is one of his clients. Well, he's now stumped up the biggest loan yet, so maybe... He was done. He figured I suppose he's thinking, well, if they're going to divide Venice, Venice is not going to be a thing anymore. Yes, and there's too much power doing this for Venice to survive. Mm. So align myself with the winners. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Makes, yeah, okay. makes a lot of sense. Fuga stumped up 300,000 florins. Wow. That would pay 25,000 labourers for a year. Wow. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Mm. And this, But this was a huge risk for Fuga since, you know, unlike today when bankers don't even lose their bonus when things go wrong, <laughs> Fuga would have lost everything if Maximilian had defaulted. And I don't know what would happen had, if Maximilian had died in the conflict. I'm not quite sure what, what would have happened then, but he didn't, so... The Venetians were, fight- as we say, were faced with fighting on four fronts. Good grief. <laughs> faced with fighting on four fronts. Why do I write these things? <laughs> Impossible <laughs> to say. Nothing but tongue twisters. <laughs> but the Venetians are a pragmatic lot. They surrendered their southern territories to Ferdinand and the Pope and concentrated on Maximilian and the French. And Maximilian and the French won every battle. So it's all going really, really well. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm surprised. <laughs> well, they've got, he's got the French behind him. But then the Phoenicians threatened to press the nuclear button. They threatened to bring in the Ottoman Turks. <gasps> mm. Oh, yes. that's not a good thing to do. No, but they were desperate, so... <laughs> yes, but wow! They had nothing to, nothing to lose, really. Maximilian and the French were forced to make, make peace with Venice, whereupon the French went home with Maximilian running after them, shouting, come back, you promised promised to get me my magic crown. (laughs) So why didn't he listen to his daughter? She told him this would happen. Did they they write the king's new clothes? (laughs) That's based on Maximilian. It's got to be. Well, he then lost all the gains he'd already made in that area. Of course he did. And he still had to pay back Jakob Fuga. Oh, how? How? What does he have left that he hasn't already given him? 
I don't know, to tell you the truth. I don't know what's left. I mean, it's a big... Yes, I don't know what he's got left. Um, well, let's hope he's got something, otherwise <laughs> otherwise Fuga's in trouble. Yes. Anyway, as we know, the marriage between Mary Tudor and Charles V never took place. Why not? Well, it was another de la Pole, this time Richard. Richard, backed by France, was one of the motives for the hastily concocted Anglo-French peace. This is the younger brother, Richard? Hmm. Oh. The one that might have been the son of John de la Pole in one of the things I read. Yes. And this piece included the marriage between the ageing King Louis XII and Mary, young Mary. I don't know if it's the whole of the the, um, the reason for it, but certainly um, Henry was just thinking, another de la Pole? No, we're, cut, we're yeah. cutting the head off isn't it? <laughs> before it starts. Yeah, Henry's vision of a pan-European dominance had bit the dust, and it seems that all all of Henry's policies seem to have to do with pretenders of one sort or another. Or they've certainly That's got crazy. them lurking. Yeah. 1510. Bianca Maria died. And she's Maximilian's wife, in case people have forgotten. <laughs> Bianca Maria Sforza. Yes, she and Maximilian had grown further and further apart. Were they ever together? Not really. She sent him loving letters and gifts, but he wasn't wasn't really interested. He had Margaret and Philip to use as pawns, and wow. Then he had his grandchildren, Charles and Ferdinand, and some girls to marry off. So he didn't really need anything from her. Right. It's all, it's all a bit sad, really. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, because when Mary had died, Mary of Burgundy, his first wife, Maximilian had hired a magician to try and get her back. Wow. Yeah, and his obsession with trying to get Burgundy back for France was all done in her memory. But we don't see anything like that for poor Bianca. Doesn't try and get her back. Well, he didn't want her. He just wanted the money. Yes, he got the money. Got the money, spent it. Goodbye, Mm. wife. Don't care about you. No. 1511. Pope Julius II became very ill. And Maximilian had an idea. Uh Uh-oh. A runaway Adriano Castellesi, Castellesi. <laughs> had turned up at his court. So Maximilian turned him round, slapped him on the bottom, pointed him in the direction of Rome and said, off you go, go and make me Pope Emperor. What? That way he could crown himself with the magic crown. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Clever. It just keeps getting worse. <laughs> As Maximilian explained to his daughter... He decided not to remarry or, quote, ever again pursue naked ladies, unquote. <laughs> <laughs> but would instead lobby the cardinals to have himself elected pope, quote, and become a priest. In that, in that order, I'll become pope. Then <laughs> I'll, I'll become be a, a priest. Kid. I'll become a priest and afterwards a saint so that after my death you'll have to worship me, of which I should be very proud, unquote. <laughs> he signed his letter... Your good father, Maxi, future Pope. Holy cow. Oh, no pun intended. But what the heck? I thought the bit about being a saint may have been a joke because he and his oh. daughter had quite a close relationship. Okay. So he might have been joking. But his plan was that Castellesi should talk to Julius and get him to name Maximilian as his heir apparent. Well, popes don't really have heir apparents, do they? No. They get voted in. Yes. But there are ways to get voted in. Yes. 
Maximinian reckoned he'd be more Christian Pope than the lascivious Alexander VI or the warmongering Julius II, and I think he may have got a point there. He was just as warmongering as Julius, though. (laughs) Sounds like even more so. Well, his main motivation, and this will surprise you, was financial. Oh, of course. Yeah. He was planning to bribe the cardinals to make him Pope. He thought 3,000 ducats should be enough to convince the cardinals. Well, that's how it's been done before. And where was he going to get the money for this? Well, precisely. He had nothing left to pledge for the loan. Except the crown jewels. Oh, no. And also, Maximilian threw in an incentive for Fuga. If he became Pope, Maximilian would give Fuga the job of papal treasurer. And this came with the monopoly on the alum trade. Wow. Is incredibly lucrative. As we know, represented a massive amount of money. (laughs) Yes. Yes. We'll never know whether Fuga would have gone for it since Julius got better. So, back to the naked ladies. (laughs) (laughs) Although, with Maximilian's medical condition... uh, Oh, oh, squishy. Mm. 15, 13. A victory at last, with the help of England. He scored a victory against the French in the Battle of the Spurs. And now, obviously, we're talking about Henry VIII. Henry VII has died. Mm -hmm. 15... Fifteen. We heard about all those other people lending Maximilian money. Well, now it's someone else's turn. Francis I of France, because Louis had died, had just ousted the Swiss out of Milan. It's complicated in Milan, as we, we've discovered in yes. the Leonardo thing. And a whole load of people take it over and then lose it and then take it over. But a small side note, actually. The Swiss' unique selling point was that they were invincible. That's what they trade traded on, really. They were a they had a mercenary force and it was invincible. It always won. Okay. But now Francis had moved in and just beaten them. So the Swiss decided that their best bet was from now on to remain neutral. And it's the policy they've continued to this day. So wow, that's where the neutrality that's started. That's where it came from. Neutrality started, yep. Maximilian was all for going into Milan and getting it back. But Fuga wasn't keen to finance that plan. However, there was someone who had entered into a testosterone battle with Francis I and who couldn't bear to see him getting ahead on the winning the battles front. Henry? Henry VIII offered 100,000 crowns to Maxwell's campaign. Maxwell. To Maximilian's campaign. But such was Maximilian's reputation that Henry very sensibly paid the money to Fuga, who was to pay the bills for the war, rather than just handing it to the emperor. Smart. Hmm. Smart, but slightly humiliating for Maximilian. You know, so. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's not going to you. I don't <laughs> trust you. <laughs> now, Maximilian marched into Italy at the head of 30,000 troops. You know, a huge army by his standards. Yeah. But then, just as he was nearing Milan, he gave up. What? He said it was nearly winter. He said he couldn't feed his troops. He said <sighs> he was worried that his cavalry wouldn't, would be beaten. But everyone suspected French bribes. Uh, well, it makes sense. He does everything for money. Yep. Well, this made no difference to Fugo. It wasn't his money. But Henry VIII was 100,000 crowns out of pocket Ugh. for nothing. Did he not learn from what happened with his dad? 
don't do anything for Maximilian. Nothing comes back to you. I don't know. I think this thing with between him and Francis I was quite uh, ingrained, wasn't it? Yes, yes. You can't have Francis getting something that Henry hasn't got. Yeah. And Henry hadn't got a big city-state, so why should Francis have one? It's always surprising that though they're related, sons can be so different from their fathers. Yes. But then I suppose in these circles, the sons didn't see a lot of their fathers. True. And Henry was raised with his mother and stayed with the girls for a lot longer than normal. Hmm. Stayed with the ladies, I should say. Hmm. Hmm. 1517... Maxwell. Where am I getting Maxwell from? Maxwell. (laughs) He's a coffee. It's all this talk of money. Maximilian's campaigns in Italy had been unsuccessful, so he began to focus on his dynastic future. He was able to arrange some advantageous marriages with the Hungarian and Bohemian royal families. With who? With with the granddaughters. Ah, okay, thank you. His main aim was to keep the throne of the Holy Roman Empire in the family. How is he getting to decide what happens to his granddaughters? Philip's dead. Right, there's no other male head of the family. Okay, thank you. But wait, Charles is still there. How old is Charles? Is he still a kid? Well, it may well be that it was was Charles and Maximilian that were um, organising this. Okay. I mean, they were good, good marriages, so... Also, he was keen to keep Francis I off the Holy Roman Emperorness, which apparently he was going for. So he started an election campaign, which was unprecedented in its sheer amount of bribery. The Fuga family lent Maximilian one million gulden, which sounds a lot, but apparently it's short for gulden fennec, or gold penny, which doesn't sound quite so much. Except that this loan was able to buy the votes of Mainz, Cologne, Brandenburg and Bohemia for his grandson Charles. Yes. Charles wasn't actually all that keen on becoming emperor. He was 17 at this point, but the main thing was that he probably saw what being an emperor had done to his poor old granddad, I would have thought. Yes. Yeah. I'm sure Maximilian wanted Charles to win to continue the dynasty, but also niggling his mind must have been a desire to prevent Francis from getting the job especially after the Milan fiasco. Why are they doing the election now if Maximilian's still alive? I think if Maximilian's thinking ahead. Okay. I mean, he can't buy votes when he's gone. True, true, very true. Okay. I was thinking how many of Maximilian's campaigns could be followed by the word fiasco? (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) The Venetian fiasco, the Brittany fiasco, the Perkin fiasco, the Milan fiasco. It's just the Swiss fiasco. At this time, Maximilian was spending 70% of his income on wars. And he had no head for finance, as we've certainly found out. Yes. Fuga was charging him 50% interest. Oh, ouch! He paid Maximilian less for copper than the emperor was paying to have it produced. So the emperor still had some mines, which meant that Maximilian was losing money on every cartload of copper that came out of his own mine. (laughs) <laughs> in fact a council of Tyrol was set up to look into Fuga's financial dealing with the emperor and they said that Fuga's contract with the emperor was, was invalid because he'd abused Maximilian's trust how? oh it's constant he's just ripping him off left right and centre 
Yeah, but Maximilian's agreed to it. Well, Maximilian's reaction to this, he knew he needed Fuga. He just shut his ears to the findings and it was just business as usual. Yeah. Yeah. I find that quite sad. Yes. That he's so much in his, well, in his debt, literally. Yeah, in his power. That he can't, he can't get out. Ugh. Hmm. 1518. In this year, Maximilian met Luther. It sounds, sounds a bit like a pitch for a romantic <laughs> comedy, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm assuming we're talking about Martin Luther? We're talking about Martin Luther. Ah, okay. <laughs> he agreed with Luther about several points, but refused to ban indulgences, because, as Luther had requested him, because they brought money in. Yes. And I, they wouldn't have brought money into him, so I couldn't quite work out his reasoning. But then I came across a passage when I was reading about Fuga, which said that the Fugas were the collectors of the papal indulgences. So that would have had a knock-on effect for Maximilian, because the more money the Fugas can collect, the more there is available for Maximilian to borrow. Yes. He seemed quite impressed, though, with Luther, and gave him a letter of safe passage. But, you know, a lot of good it did him, because Luther was arrested anyway. 1519. At the end of the previous year, after seeing an eclipse, Maximilian was convinced he was soon going to die. He returned to Innsbruck, but he was so skint that the innkeepers and shopkeepers wouldn't grant him or his entourage any further credit. <laughs> uh, yep, yeah. Being Holy Roman Emperor gives you everything. <laughs> yes. He's got a badge, I think. Holy cow. Yeah, well, he, he was apoplectic about this, and sadly, it's literally the case since he had a stroke. He was bedridden. Oh, no. Mm. Someone found the money to get him lodgings they were outside Innsbruck. He carried on reading and signing documents and meeting envoys for as long as he could. And he loved the sound of songbirds, so somebody brought some into his room. And he died listening to them singing. He'd become quite morbid in his last years. After his fall from his horse, he took to carrying his coffin about with him everywhere. A bit like Dracula, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> and this may have been as the syphilis he contracted years earlier was beginning to take hold, and uh... destroying his body. But also, it probably seemed less morbid to people at that time than it does today, because you know, we shut our eyes to death now. But in the 15th century, well, for a start, it was all around. You couldn't ignore it. And it was common for people to prepare for death and to make arrangements for your body and soul. Yes. And Maximilian was no different from anyone else. He gave very specific instructions about what should be done with his body. Did he borrow more money for perpetual prayers? (laughs) I wouldn't be at all surprised. (laughs) But he wanted his hair to be cut off, his teeth to be knocked out, and his body to be whipped and covered in lime. And, quote, publicly displayed to show the perishableness of all earthly glory, unquote. That's creepy. A little bit. Well, he showed great humility. 
but I bet he believed it wouldn't happen. And it didn't, so. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought this was going to be another time where he felt one thing was going to happen and it went exactly the opposite. They gilded him. <laughs> <laughs> I think he'd been furious if they kept <laughs> they'd taken him at his word. It's, it's the sort of thing you say. Right. He's, he's buried in Georgskirche at Wiener Neustadt. I'm thinking if I sort of lunge at these German words <laughs> with, with full confidence, people will think I can do it. <laughs> And that was where he was born, so he was buried there. However, his tomb is in Innsbruck. The work on the tomb started in 1502. So wait, he was buried but not in the tomb that he was building for himself? No. Oh. By Maximilian's death, <laughs> only 11 of the 28 life-sized figures of his ancestors that had been planned had actually been finished. Because he kept running out of money? Of course. <laughs> These ancestors were both real and mythical and included Julius Caesar, Charlemagne, King, oh, no. King Arthur, <laughs> oh. and, and Noah. Noah. Mm. Well, I guess everybody comes from Noah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess they do. Yes, that's true. They kept building this tomb, even though Maximilian had had to pawn two of his statues. They were <laughs> King Arthur and Theodoric the Goth to the Bishop of Augsburg to pay off his debts. And humiliatingly, the city council of Nuremberg forbade local artists from accepting commissions from Maximilian for fear of being stuck with the bill. Oh, so it was in 1555 when the last figure was put in place. And we think he died in 1519. Wow. So somebody continued that on for him? Yes, they do. Yep. You know, but now it's so big it wouldn't fit into the church where Maximilian was actually buried. So his his grandson, Ferdinand I, built the Hofkirche in Innsbruck to house the tomb. But for some reason, Maximilian was never moved into it. So it's just empty? or did... It's empty. As far as I know, it's empty. I don't think anybody else took it on. Huh. Hmm. So that is the whirlwind that was Maximilian's <laughs> life. <laughs> Shall we do our best to rate him? It was a comedic catastrophe. <laughs> It was. Well, you know what I mean about just thinking, oh, bless all the time. I just, <laughs> you think, bless he's so heart. keen. He's so enthusiastic that you've got to, you've got to admire him. <laughs> anyway. Yes. And fibbly. That's intrigue. Well, he used a succession of pretenders against Henry. Yes. Whether he believed in Simnel and Perkin, which seemed to be unlikely. Although he may have convinced himself of it, Probably. we don't know. He intrigued to get them on the throne and carried on intriguing for much of his reign. Including making up support from other monarchs that don't even know any of this is existing or happening. Yep. If I, I mean, Henry really should have told him that he was putting out of the French wars. Yes. <laughs> All those many, many, many years ago, it would have just made so much difference. Well, apart from Perkin, his political amphibolizing was not very impressive. He was, quote, pushed out of Burgundy, outwitted in France, blocked in Germany, defeated in Switzerland, unsuccessful in Italy, unable to establish imperial power in the West, disappointed in his dreams of conquest in the East. He seems to have failed on all fronts. He wasn't even crowned in Rome as his father and earlier empress had been, unquote. Yeah. Hmm. That doesn't mean he didn't intrigue. It just means he wasn't <laughs> successful. He didn't do it well. It. <laughs> so are are we saying with Amphiboli 
that they intrigued or that they intrigued well? Good question. <laughs> I think I'm going to split it down the middle then. So I think so. Half of it would be, did they intrigue? And the other half would be, did they do it well? Which automatically brings him down to a five. Yep. And we don't really hear of him spying a lot. No, he doesn't spy. I've not come across the net, sort of network that uh, Henry had, or indeed Fuga had. Fuga had lots of spies. Yeah, he was more manipulated against than... He seems like an innocent in many yes. ways. He's a simple boy. Yes, to let Fuga rip him off to that extent. Yeah. And then just carry on. Yeah. I mean, we've got to give you marks for, for intrigue because... I'm going to give all... him a three. Hmm. He did intrigue, but not successfully. And other people were able to outwit him in several circumstances. Yes, most of the intrigue seems to be based purely at Henry. Yes. He really had it in for him. Given, given that he must surely have had more to feel annoyed about with Charles VIII. Yes, but England was rich. Yeah. And it, he was looking for money. Yes. I might go for a four because there was a whole su whole succession of pretenders that that he, he did help manipulated, yeah. Or they manipulated him, it depends on how you look at that. <laughs> yes. He was an easy mark. <laughs> yes, maybe we ought to completely redo the Perkin episode <laughs> from that point of view. That's a seven. We saw Maximilian is using Perkin, but how much yes. is Perkin using Maximilian? Yeah, yes. Give and take. Antiperistasis. Rise and fall. Well, he went up, but in a way that was expected. Yes. He and his he dad. went up because of somebody else's work. Yeah. His grandson was the one who really straddled Europe. Mm -hmm. So how much can Maximilian take credit for this? I mean, you can't really claim antiperistasis for future generations. No. So, and he became the Holy Roman Emperor because his father had been able to bribe and set that up before him. And also it's because the princes were thinking, this man is rubbish. Let's see if we can <laughs> we him up a bit with his him. son. Yes. And he never really got to be properly crowned. So you could argue that he never was the Holy Roman Emperor. No, he was just he was the elected he was never Roman holy, Emperor. the Holy Roman Emperor. Yeah. Not a lot, I don't think. I'm, I, I'm going with zero, to be honest. He didn't go up. He didn't really go down. He just consistently failed. He was consistent. Yeah. It seems hard to think you can give someone who is the Holy Roman Emperor, albeit holy in inverted commas, <laughs> nothing. Was... I'm going to give him one. He's the Holy Roman Emperor. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I don't see him as the official Holy Roman Emperor. That's my problem. Well, neither did he. That was the that was yeah. the thing. Yes. Yeah, if he doesn't even believe it. Yeah, I feel I can't give him that. I can't. Okay, give him nothing. I just can't. That's a one. Martyrdom. <laughs> well, I can't really think of anything except that in his youth, Maximilian saw himself as the Weisskönig, the White King. He did. But in his old age, when so many things had gone wrong for him, he saw himself as a martyr. Quote, no man since Christ has suffered as I have done, unquote. 
But he's the one that did it to himself. Is that martyrdom or is that self-pity? That's self-pity. And also, no man since Christ is a bit is a pushing it a bit, isn't it? <laughs> he always has to be the biggest something, doesn't it? Even if it's the biggest loser. <laughs> if it came down to his life or his beliefs, it sounds like he just gave up at the end. So I'm giving him a zero. I doubt he would have so. died. Money. It was money all the yeah. way through. And he, I think... I think he would have given up anything for money. Yes. Yeah. So I'm giving him a zero. What about you? I think a zero. Yeah. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Who's the Holy Roman Emperor? <laughs> so far he's got eight. <laughs> Beatty. Posterity. If we think of Beatty as what was left behind, Maximilian left behind plenty. For one thing, he left his descendants... A debt of six million oh. gilden. Oh my goodness! <laughs> to put that in perspective, that amounts to a decade's worth of tax revenues from their inherited lands. Oh! And it took until the end of the 16th century to repay the debt. Wow! And he had debts all over the place, but mainly to the big banking families. Wow! Mm. Apart from that, he was a keen supporter of the arts and sciences. Okay. Although it wasn't really arts for art's sake, they were part of this big propaganda machine promoting Maximilian himself. Yes. But he was the first to tr first to do that. So, I mean, yeah. He was a writer. Mm -hmm. He wrote two epic poems called the Thuadank, which was a fanciful and downright fictional account of his courtship with Mary, as we've seen. <laughs> the Freydal, which is all about jousting, and the chivalric novel called Weisskönig. And they were illustrated by magnificent woodcuts by Dura, And there are plenty of examples of those on the internet if you want to look. It's meant to be an instructional work for his grandsons, Charles and Ferdinand, but he'd sort of go off on fanciful side routes, I think. Yeah. Uh, he used printing to disseminate propaganda against, for instance, Charles VIII. He was the first man to do this. Okay. First ruler to do this, anyway. Okay. He was a great lover of ornamental armour. And there was an exhibition of it recently at the Met in New York. There's posterity for you. Yes, it's still hmm. going. And he gave Henry VIII a present of a helmet. And that's the picture, first picture on the thing that I've sent you. Ah. It's the weirdest helmet ever made. It is different. It really does. It reminds me of steampunk. Yes. So it looks like a grimacing face, but... Apparently the face is Maximilian's. Really? Yes, That's he based it on himself. <laughs> um, but he's wearing... Why is he wearing bronze glasses? I don't know. <laughs> and bronze ram's horns. It really is strange. I don't know what he, what point he was making to Henry. Because horns usually a sign of cuckold, isn't it? In, in England? Hmm. I don't know if that's the same everywhere, though. I don't know. I don't know. It's a very odd, odd helmet. It is very odd. But you can see that out of the eyes, as long as, as long as Henry's face was exactly the same shape as Maximilian's. <laughs> <laughs> and found you can breathe through the gaps between his teeth. Well, it looks like there's holes in the nose too, so there he can is, breathe yeah. through the nose. Mm. And you can see he's even got sort of crow's feet around his eyes and, and sort of smile, well, grimace marks, I suppose. Yeah, but what's with the glasses? The glasses are what's know. throwing me off. Yeah. I don't know. Henry, as far as we knew, Henry didn't wear glasses. I don't know. The Maxim maybe Maximilian wore glasses. I don't know. I didn't see any pictures of him wearing glasses, but 
quite often pe- people are vain and take their specs off, don't they, before they have their picture done. Yes. Yeah. I don't because I can't see anything, but there we go. Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> anyway, further with Bettine, the legend survived among the German people who always looked upon him as Kaiser Max and he was a folk hero. Really? So they were just as fantasy driven <laughs> as he was. But in the Netherlands, they probably saw him a little differently, I think. Yes. But mostly, though, he left a dynasty which in the 16th century ha- had capitals in Madrid, Brussels, Vienna, Prague, Milan, and Naples. It was the greatest yes. power in Europe. And all this was founded by a man who was generally regarded as a failure. Yeah, the last Habsburg, actually. I was reading something about that. The last direct descendant of the Habsburg Empire didn't pass away until the 70s or 80s. There's colour photographs of him. Yeah. And he wrote himself, quote, If a man in his lifetime does not provide for his own memory, he will not be remembered after his death, but will be forgotten with his passing bell. Mm -hmm. Thus the money which I spend for the perpetuation of my memory (laughs) is not lost. On the contrary, to spare such money would be to stifle my future memory, unquote. So hmm. he he had an eye to the team. I think he's got this. Is his, going to be his biggest scorer? I think that's what I'm thinking. I'm which thinking is what he... happened after he died, which is not a very good. <laughs> <laughs> True. I <sighs> I'm tempted to give him a nine. I'm not temp. I don't want to give him a ten because he no. himself didn't leave anything majorly specific, but. The Habsburg Empire that, because of his careful negotiations for marriage, is huge. Yes. Yes, I agree. Yeah, yeah I think a nine. a nine. I don't think ten, because ten, ten is for people that if you walk down the street and said, tell me everything you know about Maximilian I. You might get what? Who? <laughs> <laughs> but yes. Leave me alone, you crazy woman, I'd get. But, but if you um, said Habsburg, a lot yeah. more people would be like, right. But if I said... Anne Boleyn, Thomas More, Sir Walter Yeah, Raleigh. they're much more well-known. So, 18, well done. Yes. For dying. <laughs> flaunt, a bleeding flaunt. We've got a few here. Okay. The first one. This was Maximilian when he was 59. Okay. Yeah, he that nose definitely matches that mask. Yeah. Yeah, you can see see where it's coming from. It's painted by Albrecht Dürer, so that has to be at least one of the most famous ones we've had yes. so far. And is he holding a pomegranate? He is. Oh, we've got symbolism. We've got symbolism. Well, I'll tell you, the top left-hand corner is the Habsburg coat of arms and the golden fleece, if you can just see up there. Yes, Isn't at it? the bottom. Yeah. That long Latin, long blurb in Latin at the top gives Maximilian's titles and achievements, of which you can see there are many, many. You can see them all there. Are they lying? <laughs> I'm not sure more... what achievements can be in there. Maybe the I think titles. It's probably more titles than achievements. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's holding a pomegranate, which is his symbol, since it represents the cohesion in diversity, meaning the Holy Roman Empire holding within it all the disparate fiefdoms of the various types, because the seeds are the subjects. It's also a symbol of fertility and the continuous growth of your family, which is true for the Habsburgs. Hmm. It's one of the reasons why Catherine chose the pomegranate as her symbol. Well, someone talking at the time said, quote, Although the pomegranate's exterior is neither very beautiful nor endowed with a pleasant smell, it is sweet on the inside and is filled with a great many well-shaped seeds, 
Likewise, the emperor is endowed with many hidden qualities, hidden notice, which, <laughs> yeah. which become more and more apparent each day and continue to bear fruit, unquote. I'm not sure I believe that. But it still seems to be say that, saying that the emperor is ugly and smelled weird. Yes. <laughs> yes. Anyway, that's that one. Then I liked this one. This is one of the woodcuts, the next one. Woodcuts from the Weisskönig. So there okay. is the Weisskönig himself. And I think that must have been done by Jura. And he's talking to some German knights. What I loved about that picture was, apart from the crown and the armoured legs, he looks uncannily like a suburban housewife from the 50s, doesn't he? Yes, yes, he does. They are wearing a skirt. Yes, and one of those sort of big ballooning ones. Yes. Yeah, you imagine they're discussing their twin tubs over in the new fridge. Yeah, like I understand the top part. The chest part was actually bowed out and at an angle. So if they were struck by an arrow, it would be deflected. But that dress is going to get in the way. Yeah, I don't get the skirt because it is a dress. It's, it's below knee level. Mm -hmm. And they're very Dutch shoes. Yes, I like the way he's got his hand on his hip as well as if he's they're gossiping. Yeah. Yeah. They do look like two people gossiping over a fence. So he is holding his sword. But yeah. that was that was actually to keep it from getting tangled in their legs. They'd keep a hand on the pommel. It wasn't... And he's going to get caught up in that skirt as well. Yeah. I, no. I don't understand the skirt. He's not the only one wearing the skirt either. No. What's the no. point of the skirt? Because the other German knights are not wearing that skirt. No. You've got three people are wearing the skirt. The rest of them are all what we would think of of what knights would be wearing. Yeah. I don't know. That's very odd. Yeah. I like that picture. Yeah. So that is the Weisskönig himself. Huh. Right. The next one. Nice family portrait. Yes. Mm. We've got Maximilian with Mary of Burgundy, who looks exasperated, doesn't she? Yes, she does. She's even rolling her eyes like, oh, good Lord. <laughs> We've got Philip and the three grandchildren, Charles, Ferdinand and Mary. We can play a little game called Guess Which One Is Charles? <laughs> <laughs> and another little game called Where Is Juana? Yes. She's not in the picture. No. And Maximilian's neck is huge. That is a very thick neck. It is. It's nice he's got his arm round, presumably Ferdinand. Ferdinand, yeah. Yeah. It's a nice little Ferdinand picture. Ferdinand is cuddling. Yeah. Not an attractive man. No. No. But I love the expression on Mary's. Yes. <laughs> I should imagine she had that expression quite often being married to Maximilian. Yes. Right, the next one. This is a woodcut by Sebastian Brandt depicting St. Mary and the Holy Child. Of course. Oh, and syphilis at the bottom. Punishing the sufferers of syphilis. <laughs> <laughs> it is syphilis. <laughs> Could have been the plague, but I went with syphilis. <laughs> well, the holy child is throwing spears of light. I I'm not quite sure whether it's either to punish the sufferers of syphilis or to cure them. I'm thinking cure them. Not quite sure. Oh, I love how Mary is crowning him, even though he's wearing a crown. Yes, <laughs> he's doing going for the double crown combo. I'm assuming that's Maximilian on his knees that's on the right in armor. And this is a reward for the edict he issued in 1495, stating that the disease was a consequence of blasphemy and sins, punishing the sufferer of syphilis for their immoral behaviour. Well, yeah. And presumably this was before he caught the disease. <gasps> Ooh, whoops. Yes. 
And the last one, that's his death mask. He's still got the nose, but his face, yeah. his face seems to have... Sunken. Caved in, yeah. Death masks are such a weird thing. I would rather get it done when I'm in, like, my 20s. <laughs> Rather than at the very end of my life. Some of them are quite haunting, I think. Yeah. That, that one's quite haunting because it looks as if his eyes are melting into his face. Yeah, it really And he's does. got five o'clock shadow as well. And his nose is sort of collapsing, which makes sense for the syphilis up at the bridge. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Ew. So anyway, that's pictures of Maximilian. And there were many, many, many because there were lots in the, the uh, Weisskunig book. I like that he's using symbolism. Yes, we've got a lot of symbolism there. And I love the detail in the clothes in his family portrait. I love that picture. That is such a great picture. And it feels like you're really actually getting the feel of the family. Yes, it feels like a photo, doesn't it? Especially with Mary's expression. expression. I mean, she must have had to keep that, that look for days. Yes. I'm going to give that a 10 because I really like the fact that we have such diversity. There's symbolism in all of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 10, even with the 1950s skirts. <laughs> well, because of them. And we got syphilis, of course, which always gets an extra point. <laughs> and we got a death mask. And, um, yeah, he's clutching his pomegranate. Yeah, I'll go with a 10 as well. Yeah, nice. I, th I, th I think it's got everything we, are we ask for. That's actually the best score we've had. Yes. <laughs> so uh, Pope Alexander matches him, but that's it. Oh, yes. Well, he had his girlfriend dressed up as Virgin Mary, didn't he? <laughs> yes. <laughs> he got extra points for that. <laughs> so 20, 38, 39, 46. 36. Because we cut our fall into flaunt in half. We do. 36. 36. But. <laughs> Are they too delicious or what? I don't know. I don't... <laughs> really? I know you know. <laughs> you were right at the very beginning. He is very much the Don Quixote of the ruling <laughs> class. <laughs> I just feel he's such a force of nature that I almost want to. I, I feel I want to give him the too delicious. Just because he was everywhere and doing so much. Mm. And it didn't work. But He did you know. have an awfully large effect on the entire era. He did. For a vast majority of European countries. And often it was his failure that, did, that, <laughs> that made the difference. I'm inclined mm. to say yes, but I will go with... I mean, if you say no, then it's a no, but... You know what? For comic value, I think I am going to say yes, because I have I talked already about the last episode. I was like, wait till it comes out. So this is going to be yet another one where I'm going to be like, you, you really have to listen to Maximilian if you want a good laugh. <laughs> so, yes, I'm going to go with a yes. Oh, great. Good. I, I really <laughs> hope you get it. I imagine he's our lowest scoring tutor. <laughs> well, I don't know, because we gave it to the Cornish... Rebels, and I think they must have got less, didn't they? There were no pictures. They didn't get much on pictures. No, he is most definitely our lowest score. Who's he? I'm looking at our totals. Yep. Yeah. 
the next well, one down was John Devere, 13th Earl of Oxford. He got 53.5 in his score and he got oh, two yeah, delicious. Yeah, that's a big gap then. Yeah. <laughs> well, oh, no, the Cornish Rebellion is 44.5, so. Yeah. Oh. Yes, but he's still the lowest. Bless him. <laughs> Bless him. <laughs> there you go. You actually won something, Maximilian. Yeah. Oh, and that's it. Can we include a papal crown in that? I think we can. It will be tin. <laughs> <laughs> He's waited 500 years for this. I mean, surely we can. We can surely give him his, yes. his crown at last. Yes, he can go in fancy dress. <laughs> <laughs> For North Americans, that's a Halloween costume. (laughs) (laughs) Good. I'm really pleased. Oh, I get get another one, don't I? Yes, 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 yes. Very exciting. I'm quite chuffed about that. The more I read about him, I I like him. I mean, he did awful things. He expelled all those Jews for money, which is not great. A lot of people died because of his... Fiasco. Hubris. Hubris. But he, sometimes we get we get people who've won things like uh, John John Devere, for instance. Yes. He won. But I didn't feel much for him. No, and it wasn't as entertaining. No, Maximilian I thought I well, I like him or liked liked reading about him really. If you're going yeah. to spend a month reading about somebody, make it someone entertaining. Yes. So yes, make it someone entertaining because so. you're just about to take my next okay. one. Okay, <laughs> let's see what we got. Okay, as usual, I pick up my pen and write it down as if I'm going to forget. But yeah. Okay, let's see who we've got next victim. Finally. <laughs> Ferdinand of Aragon. Oh God. <laughs> Good luck. Why with that do one, I Amy. get? <laughs> may not be entertaining but we get to finally find out if he was as useless as we have made him out to be in so very many episodes i had all the useless men (laughs) no 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 i had uh well john de la pole the second to kosovo who was useless (laughs) well he just john de la pole just didn't want to join in did he i mean no, Fair leave me enough. alone. I want to be yeah. safe. I would like to yes. live today. <laughs> yeah, he was the antithesis of Maximilian, who doesn't seem to care. I mean, Maximilian, I was about to say, Maximilian died of natural causes in his bed. I suppose getting syphilis is natural causes. <laughs> <laughs> but he died in his bed. I mean, that's something, isn't it? Yes, it is. Mm. Yes, it is. Ferdinand Given... of Aragon. I'm actually interested in seeing what you pull up, whether yes. or not just all of the research papers and articles and the state calendars, which, by the way, you will find those very helpful. Yeah. Uh, the state calendars of Spain. Um, whether or not he actually has any input whatsoever. Because mm. I did not find any personalized stuff from him. When you were looking at a time when Isabella was still alive, weren't you? Yes. You're so, going to get to look at it from after she passes away. Yes. He might be like some of those sort of husbands that are quite under the thumb. The thumb. And then the wife dies and then suddenly they, they go berserk. They're like, oh my God, I get to do everything I want to do. Yes. And they buy fast cars and motorbikes and things. Yes. Yes. And marry someone that's half their age. Well, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm looking. Oh, excellent. 
it's we're beginning to sort of join up all the dots in yeah Europe. that's what it feels like it feels like we're filling in the stories yeah okay good excellent good yay that is the end of our episode on maximilian the sort of holy remnant emperor <laughs> <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed it and will join us for the next episode on pedro de ayala mm. thank you for listening you can find details of the podcast and contact us on Meantime, how ill white hairs become a fool and a jester. A fool thinks himself to be wise, but a wise man knows himself to be a fool. Goodbye. Goodbye. to tell me I was leading the world and so I marched at the head when there was a battle to fight or a country to take I was not afraid of bloodshed they used to tell me I could do anything I was the man at the top Why should I have to go cap in hand Waiting for the fanic to drop Once I built an empire across the land I don't intend to gloat but once I built an empire, took a stand. Subject, can you spare a groat? Once I led an army against the French, I was mean and cutthroat. Once I led an army, I didn't flinch. Subject, can you spare a groat? Once in suit of armor, my eye looked fine. I was the one they all feared. I led the land's necks, they were all mine. And I was the man they revered. Say, don't you remember, you called me Max I kept this empire afloat I carried a sword and I carried an axe Subject, can you spare a groat?
spare change, Garth. <laughs>